powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you, everyone. Please, everyone. Thank you. Sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Guess what, though? It's my birthday today, and with that in mind, I have lined up a legendary guest for you to listen to. But before we jump into the episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Clifford Ismay. That Titanic-sized episode was an incredible hit, and I hope everyone got to learn more about the subject of the book, Understanding J. Bruce Ismay, the true story of the man they called the coward of the Titanic. Cliff, thanks again for coming on the show. If you have not had the chance to listen to our great interview, I strongly encourage you to listen to it after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 148, and we have a fantastic episode lined up for you today. We have on the show the voice of professional darts, Russ Bray himself. That's right. He's here with this incredibly in-depth interview where we talk about how he got into darts, his iconic voice playing with the late Eric Bristow, his thoughts on the standard of the PDC today, talks about his Guinness World Record, and gives his takes on the stars of professional darts today. So much to cover, so let's get Russ out here. Duval Nation, please join me in welcoming to the show, calling in today from Dublin, Ireland, the legendary voice of darts, Russ Bray. <laughs> Russ, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How was the weather out by you today? Um, it's pretty, uh, <laughs> it's fairly cold. Right? I'm actually in Dublin at the moment because we have the Premier League tonight. Uh, we're starting in about three or four hours' time. So I flew out to Dublin this morning. Unfortunately, would you believe my uh, case has ended up in Poland? <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> good. Set. what a great start. So all I've got with me is a tracksuit, a tracksuit and clothes like that. So I won't be calling tonight. I'll be second ref all night. Poor old Hugh Ware's got all seven games to do. So uh, not a good start to the day at half past five this morning. But And the weather, just to go, as you say, it's an overcast, a little bit cold, uh, probably around about eight or nine degrees max. Uh, apart from that, not so bad, Derek, not so bad. I'll take a stab in the dark. Was it Ryanair that did that? <laughs> hey! <laughs> I'll tell you what, if I'm going to be 100% honest, it's actually security. As I've come through security, you know, you put your bags through security because on a flight like this, it's an overnight. I don't really need to put luggage in in, in the hold, so it's just hand luggage only. Well, I have two bags. I've got a small bag that I have, obviously, my passport and all my paperwork in and, and odd bits and pieces. And the other one's got, like, two pairs of trousers, pair of shoes and all the rest of it. Well, that particular bag actually got picked up by another passenger by mistake. By the time they, yeah, by the time they found it, it's uh, a woman in... Um, flying to Krakow in Poland. So uh, 
Um, she'd already boarded with my bag. Her bag was already left there, which is obviously no good to me. So, of course, I've ended up with nothing. So I rang up to one of the directors and told him my uh, predicament. He said, we'll fly it anyway, just second ref all night. Nice. So I start my interviews off the same way, and that is, how has it been for you over the last three years to navigate the COVID pandemic? I've got to be honest with you, with respect to PDC work in that, uh, in that time, we have been really, really, really lucky because they've maintained the work, even though we've done it in, uh, in pandemic without a crowd there and things like that. You know, travel was the biggest problem, obviously, because of you know, because of the COVID and everything else. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I mean, I I didn't find it that bad. You know, for me personally, a very lucky boy. I lived on a farm. I've moved now, but I lived on a farm, so consequently, being stuck out in the middle of nowhere, you know, COVID really wasn't you know prevalent where I lived. So again, um, you know, I didn't really have too much of a problem. Me and the wife for the first three months, we turned out and said, "Look, well, we'll treat it as a holiday." And of course, the weather was absolutely magnificent from March all the way through the end of June. It was absolutely outstanding. So we just treated it like a holiday. I bought a big hot tub and uh, it was just, I drank lots of cider and it was just absolutely fantastic, you know. Terrific. So every journey yeah. has a beginning. Now, I understand yeah. you were born in Essex 13 years after the end of the Second World War. What was it like to grow up in in post-war England? Well, for me as a kid, it was I was very, very lucky with my parents in that respect. Is um, you know I've never ever known us not to have a car. I've never known us not to have a TV or radio or anything like that. So for me, growing up in the you know late fifties, early sixties was that was a joy to be honest with you. Like I said, I'm really, really lucky boy in that sense. You know, I had, uh, I had great parents for that sort of thing and. Uh, you know, so for me, growing up as a kid was was good fun. My brother was 12 years old than me. He was actually a war baby, so he was born in 45. So he um, he had it probably a little bit harder than I did. But, well, he had it a lot harder because obviously, you know, it, it, was, right. it was very tough straight off the wall. But for me, you know, like you say, you know, 12 years after the war, yeah, unbelievable. At what age did you pick up your first pair of darts? I picked up a, a set of darts probably when I was I was about eighteen, so it wasn't you know it wasn't anything I'd done. I represented Great Britain as a high jumper, so my my main thing was athletics in the day, athletics and football. You know, all all of us was football mad or, or you you know sport mad anyway. But I got asked to play. I was a I was a policeman. I was in training school. One of the guys there turned around and said, "Oh, can you play darts for us in the team?" I said, "I didn't pick up, set me off. I wouldn't even know what to do with it." He said, "Well, I've got a set of darts here, a set of brass darts." And he said, uh, "How about having a throw and I'll see what you do?" So I stood there and threw. So my original eye-hand coordination. I was always reasonably good at you know every sport, not particularly great at one, if you know what I mean. So a jack of all trades, master of none. And I picked these darts up and threw, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I played in the team. And the team won, not me personally, but the team won, and I ended up getting a medal. And that was in 1975. So that was really the start of my career because it, from then on, I really did get the bug. And, uh, you know, I ended up joining, I got, I got married, ended up joining the team and, uh, and all the such like. And it just went from there. Have you always had the voice or did it come together the older you got? No, it's, it's it's probably got a fractionally deep with the older I've got. I've always had a deep voice, even as a kid. You know, when you reach puberty, and your voice changes from, you know, soprano to, you know, whatever. Uh, mine went the next one down, so to speak. You know, so I've always had a reasonably deep voice. Looking back, how much fun was it to play with Eric Bristow? 
Oh, absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it would be every dark player's dream to play, you know, a pairs with Eric Bristol. And I was, I've been very, very fortunate in as much as I've done that a couple of times, actually. And we've become very, very close, very, very good friends. You know what I'm saying? And I was calling for him at exhibitions. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's every boy's dream. Do you have any favourite memories off the top of your head of hanging out with him? Uh, yeah, quite a few, actually. <laughs> uh, there used to be myself, and, myself, Keith Bellow, who's a very, very close friend of mine, 83 world champion. We live 20 minutes apart. And we, you know, we socialise outside of dance as well as in it. Him and his wife, me and my wife, we go up into London and, you know, go and see shows or shows on the, on a peripheral of it. Um, so we're really, really close friends. And Keith was the one who mainly got all the work. And so it was, he would get the job. Uh, me, Keith, Eric would then go out and do a job. Well, one particular one that he got was... Um, was Portsmouth to Bilbao on PO Ferry, which was out there. It was an amazing, amazing trip. You know, we got there, we do two shows the whole trip, and that was it. And uh, of course, again, with, you know, going there with Eric, I smoked in them days, which uh, I haven't smoked now for coming on 13 years. But you used to better get your cigarettes really cheap on there. Um, we had a big thing called the Pyramid. So when you walked into your cabin, as you walked in the cabin, you had a little shelf with a mirror. Obviously, a vanity mirror for in your area, if you had any. <laughs> Not that sort of thing, which I don't. They had a little shelf there. What you used to do, you used to buy your cigarettes individually, so you buy them in packs of 20. And it become a real, real big funny as to who ended up with the biggest pyramid. You know what I mean? Like Marlboro's or whatever, you know what I mean? It's, uh, so that was, that's you know, things like that. Playing poker with Eric, you know, he was always... Uh, Eric was fantastic with his mouth. He, he was um, the loveliest bloke at breakfast, um, you know, perhaps not uh, not the friendliest at tea time, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it was that style of man. But I, I was really, really lucky with the guy. I mean, so we've got a lighthouse so far. We went away on holiday together at Prague, you know, him and his missus, me and my missus, uh, you know, for a week there. I used to meet him in Tenerife, so I used to play a lot of golf out there um, on this, certainly on this little par three golf course uh, in Tenerife. Um, it's funny because he used to, used to play for beers. And Eric, honestly, he would, you know, literally, he was that competitive. He, he you know, even on that, come on in, boy, come on in, Rusty boy, let's, let, let's get this, let's get these turned over, let's get our beers out of these, you know. And that's, that was Eric, you know, as I say, when we did do the golf, um, fortunately, we won most of the time. So <laughs> beers was on everybody. Losing Eric, I have to admit, was probably one of the most probably shocking things that ever happened to the darting yeah. world, at least in my opinion. Yep, 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 definitely. It was, you know, we've had many a great guy, you know, pass away within the game. But Eric, yeah, Eric was such a big status within, it, you know, within it in that respect. You know, Phil Taylor's the greatest player I've ever seen in my life. But Eric's probably the biggest name in the, even now. If you turn around and said to someone, name a dark player, and they will say Eric Bristow, and, well, and that's you know, five five years after every pass. And that's the thing, thing about over here in the States, that name still translates well over here. You, you know, I've played with some great players over here and you talk about Eric Bristol, like, oh yeah, Eric, he was the greatest, you know, one of the, one of the absolute yeah. gentlemen of the sport. So yeah. Well, there's, there's been a lot of tournaments. They used to go out to America, do a lot of tournaments and a lot of Chicago uh, yeah. and places like that, you know? So, you know, the boys was always part of that. Um, going out there, I was say back in the, in the eighties, with Cliff Lazarin or Keith Della, Eric Bristow, John Lowe, Jobby Wilson, you know, all these boys used to come out there, you know, and, and they was all big names, they was big names, you know, in, uh, in the very early 80s. And of course, they, yeah, that was the problem afterwards because it all dropped off when there wasn't so much tournaments. There weren't so many tournaments, and certainly not on TV. So hence you had the right. split come in the 90s. 
you know, it's funny. Some of my earliest memories growing up in the UK uh, was, you know, watching TV in the evenings. You got, you know, the dots on and what have you, and then you had bullseye on and so forth. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, some some of my favorite memories of Jockey Wilson, you know, Lon Lowe and all those guys. So, yeah, I, I, I recognize the old guard. It's pretty impressive. So what do you remember from being asked to join the PDC? What do you remember from being asked to join their ranks? I was a, a caller for Hertfordshire. Well, one of the callers for Hertfordshire. And uh, the PDC contacted me, bearing in mind that they'd given time. If you had anything to do with, as it was the WDC then, or Darts Council, had to change their name. As you, if you had anything to do with them, then you got banned from Darts. Well, I played to a good standard anyway. I played to, you know, County A standard. Obviously, Eric thought I was good enough to pair with him. So I weren't a bad player. I was never as good as those guys, you know, on a constant level. But I could hold me on sometimes. So, of course, all my local league stuff I used to play on a Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. That was it. And then, you know, if you had a county weekend, that'd be Saturday, Sunday that way as well. So it, it was darts all the time. So if I had anything to do with the PDC as they are now, then you got banned from everything. I couldn't play, even in my local pub. That, you know, that was that was a ruling. Well, I've got to be honest with you, Derek, I'm not actually a political person. And it's, you know, darts was something I paid to do. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. I understand you have rules and, and, and regulations and things like that. But I paid to do it. So when the PDC asked if I was be if I would like to be a reserve referee with the PDC, bearing in mind they had two fantastic callers in Freddie Williams and Bruce Penley, iconic, well known, every you know, throughout the world. Um, you know, I thought, ah, well, yeah, go for it, let's have it. Um and that's what I decided to do. And, you know, so going into the PDC, I, I called my first couple of games at Blackpool as a tryout with Tommy Cox, who was a tournament director, bless his, you know, no longer with us. And uh, when I walked off the stage, he said, we're not having three, uh, we're not having a reserve referee. I thought, oh, no, I've blown it. You know, he said, we're having three referees. Welcome to the PDC. And that was 1996. So um, from then on, you know, um, I've always looked forward, you know, and I've been very, very lucky. PDC have always, you know, developed us in both arms, you know, they really have got to see with both arms, give us a big cuddle and, and guide to be through the way to where, you know, to where I've got to now. Looking back, did you have any idea that you could make such a good living calling darts? Absolutely not. No way. No way. You know, I mean, it was... Um, <laughs> that really, really, that really is the bottom end of it. You know, it, again, it was something that was, you know, that I love to do. It's something I love to do. So then all of a sudden to be able to do that on TV and also get a little wage, you know, or get paid for going to do it. I mean, that was all added bonuses. I, mean, I was a scaffolder, you know, and that was, right. uh, that was my trade at that given time. So, you know, for me to be able to then of a weekend go and, you know, call the game of darts for the PDC or, or and then start getting on the exhibition circuit with various players was, was great because, like I say, it was only Bruce and Freddie that could go out with them. Uh, and in that, again, in them days, you had John Gwynn, uh, the commentator, used to do a lot of stuff as well with, with the players. For me then to be getting into that little circuit, you know, get my own little exhibitions here, there and everywhere with um, not so much the big name players at that given time, but the lads that were on the periphery coming in, you know, you go and do a little show to them at a local working men's club and things like that. You make another 50 quid sort of thing. And then it's, it just builds up from there. How long did it take you to get that patented 180 call down? Um, have I ever done that? I don't I don't even know if I've ever done that, to be honest with you, Derek. You know, I mean, it's uh, I look back on the internet and you listen to different how it's changed over the years. You don't even realise how it's changed over the years yourself. Because each time you got there, you think you're calling it roughly the same. 
obviously it's got longer these days, it seems. And uh, I don't know. I just wanted to be different anyway because you had Bruce. And uh, uh, to me, uh, the ultimate referee has been Bruce Spendley. He had a fantastic intonation with Harry called the numbers. Um, he come from out Middlesbrough out that way. Um, his accent, I thought, was absolutely perfect. And the tone of his voice, he, to me, was the ultimate referee. But I couldn't be Bruce Spendley and I couldn't be Freddie Williams. I had to be Russ Bray. I had to be someone different. Um, I was lucky my voice is different. So that's, a, that's, that's an instant change anyway. And uh, so in, in respects to that, I'm, you know, that's what I needed to do. And that's what I done. Bruce and Freddie used to wear jacket and trousers. So after a while, I thought, well, I'm going to wear a suit. So I'll change, so I'll be different. So they got up in jacket and trousers, I wore a suit. Then they decided to wear suits. Yeah? So I wore jacket and trousers and changed it around. You know, then I wore a mandarin collar. Jacket was totally different. Then I wore a shirt, it was a mandarin collar, so he didn't wear a tie. So no one, you know. So all of it was just different all the time, all the time. And and you know, as I say, over the years, that's that's what's been noticed, you know. It's it's uh, again, you know, a lot, well, a lot of people obviously know me by my face, but as soon as I open my mouth, then um, you know, like, oh you are the guy that does that, you know. So it's uh, it's worked for me, it really has worked for me. In your years as a referee, what is the one moment that stands head and shoulders above the rest when you look back on your career? Uh, Barney Taylor final 2007, the final leg, which is a sudden death leg. Um, both of them hit a 180. Uh, Barney took out tops to beat Phil, who was obviously a kingpin at the time. It was the very last um, tournament we'd we done at the Circus Tavern before we went to the Ali Pali. And it's probably one of the, the very best finals there's ever been. So, you know, all that little combination of that whole, that whole lot, was, that would be the one thing that stands out in mind. Mm-hmm. When I told my listeners you were going to be on the show, they wrote in some questions. I chose yeah. the most intelligent of them. And there were a lot, trust me. Um, <laughs> yeah. First question is, what do you think the PDC can do to curb fans, you know, during the matches, whistling, the booing, trying to put players off? Um, nothing. You know, you, you've got to be, they've got to be, play, you've, got to have, you've got to have a million and one stewards in there or whatever to stand alongside. The only way that stop is the person alongside them. You know, if you got, I mean, I've got to be honest, if I was stood in the crowd and someone behind me, say, mate, yeah, turn it in, will you? You know, spoiling it for me, let alone the players up there. Unless that happens, which, you know, logically that can't happen. That's ne- never ever going to happen. You know, how do you stop a, a, a football match? The guy's taking the penalty and everyone's trying to put him on burn and all the rest of it. It's, it's virtually an impossible thing to police, you know, unless you get the one odd person that you see and then they can go and eject or whatever. You know, above and beyond that. It, the thing is, sometimes we get criticised for not saying anything. But the problem is, you've got 5,000 people out there that probably, you know, 4,998 have all had a drink. And I've got to then turn around and say, thank you very much, thank you very much, gentlemen. Please do not whistle. We can guarantee 3,000 will. Uh, you know, that, that, the human nature. They will, because it is. You know. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So... Next fan question. How hard is it to do the math right there on the spot? Have you memorized every dark combination possible? Look, I'll certainly have <laughs> You can tell me. Have a look on the internet and see where I'm at. I'm just trying to make some stuff. You know? <laughs> You'll see enough of them over the 20 odd years that I've been doing it. Um, yeah, you get caught out. You get caught out sometimes. It ain't all the time. You get caught out sometimes, you know, especially when the players and I've missed what they're going for. That's 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 the hardest because you, you you know most of the combinations. You know, treble twenty, treble twenty, treble twenty. It's one eight. You haven't got any up. You can see it. You know, twenty 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 six. You haven't got any up. Um, it's when they go. You know, 
say for 142, treble 20, treble 14, double top, and they go treble 20, treble 11. Yeah, they've got the one underneath. They look at what's what's left. Now, they can ask me two questions, what's scored and what's left. So, you know, <laughs> in 93, <laughs> you, say, you know, you're now trying to tell them all what's left and God knows what else. And that's that's where it can throw you because now you've got to re-add it all up. Yeah, right. I know what's left. I know what they're going to go for. But after that, I've then got to re-add it all up. It's a concentration. If they speak to you, as they throw the bomb, 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 they say something to you, and it just it, it breaks the concentration. So, mm. you know, as I say, when you look at, you know, our guys have got George, George Noble, Kurt Evans, Hugh Wayne, and these guys, they just do not make mistakes at all. You know, they are just so queued up with it. They are so good. You know, I'll make the odd one or two in, in and around it, but, uh, you know, as I say, in, in the main, everyone's, everyone's pretty good. But it, it, it's, it's, you've got to keep the contract, especially when the crowd is particularly loud. When they're particularly loud, that's when it becomes uh, a little bit more difficult. This next question is a very interesting one, and it's one I definitely enjoyed going to ask you is, yeah. with the domination of MVG the last, you know, five, six years, do you feel yeah. the standard of professional darts has been raised to counter his consistent winning? Yep, yeah, definitely. But you've only got to look at it now. He's not as consistent now as he was, you know, a few years back. Um, he's dropped off a little, to be fair. Uh, and this is my opinion, my opinion only. If Michael plays with his A game, he's the best player in the world. If he plays with his A game, and everyone else does. Michael has, you know, he's had a new baby just not so long ago. or new, You know, it's only now he's a very easy. People forget how young he is. You know, he's only mid-30s, you know, and he's got a young family, a young boy, young girl now, and that takes its toll, and it does. And I don't care who you are. You have a family, you know, your mind isn't 100% on what you should be doing. And that's what happens there. I mean, that will settle down, I'm sure. That will settle down, I'm sure. Um, I, he won't have the dominance that Phil Taylor had, and the reason I say that is because he, Michael hasn't got what Phil had in depth. The players in depth now, yeah, and that much higher standard. Yes, they can turn him over. If you look at all the different results now, you've got different players winning different tournaments, you know, week in, week out. And with the majors, you know, Michael Swift did the World Championship this year. You know, MVG won the, the, the match play, I think. You know, he's a match play yeah. champion. You know, when you look at that, you know, Dobie winning the Masters. So you've got, you've got different names here. So yeah. it's, it's a lot harder for Michael Van Gogh to maintain um, or a dominance like Phil Taylor did, because Phil Taylor in early doors didn't have the strength in depth to to challenge him. So, but yeah, Michael is definitely definitely the man to beat. Well, this one next fan question is a good one, and that is, what do you say to players when you pull them close after they've hit a nine or won a match? What would say? Well, done or unlucky. Basically, you know, if someone comes up, you know, especially if they hit a nine. What I make? Great nine dollar, you know. Sometimes with someone who's lost, you know, might be a word of encouragement. Mate, take all the positives out. You play well there, you know, or, or, or don't say anything. Depends on the player. Right. Depends on how a player reacts, you know. It's uh, because, as I say, some players take to it, some don't. So, you, you know, you just on that given occasion. Uh, the last fan question is a good one. That is 89, the BDO banned alcohol on the stage during games. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, perfect. Bang on. Yeah, because they should. Yeah, I'll tell you for why. We've got loads of kids playing there. We've got academies here. Um, it, it, I, I'm um, an ambassador for the JDC, the, the Junior um, Darts, you know, BBC uh, yeah. Junior Darts Corporation. And I, I, 
I think it's very, very important for the game. You know, you don't want to see people. You know, the, the PDC have taken the drink out of the game, if you know what I mean. If you, out of out of the viewing eye, let me put it that way. Because you do have the kids playing. We've got kids of 9, 10, 11, hitting nine darters. Well, they haven't got a drink in them. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and, and if we can educate it that way so that at the end of the day, when they do get up on the stage, um, you know, they don't need a drink. Toby, Chris Toby doesn't drink at all. Wins the Masters. Says it all. It says it all in my eyes. I think it's a great thing that the drink isn't shown. Obviously, smoking you can't show anyway. Um, but drink, yeah, drink can be just as bad as smoking if you want to put it in that respect. You know, it's uh, so no, I think it's a very, very, very good thing that we don't have drink. Mm. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with the voice of darts himself, Russ Bray. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right, Clouseau style. Ask me the bad in with the good. Ask me the bad in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show and we will be right back. Welcome to the podcast that wouldn't die. I'm your host, Kevin. With me, as always, is Aaron. What up, what up? Each week, we'll explore the classics of the horror and sci-fi genre with a little comedic twist. We will ask those important questions like, why don't they get out of the haunted house the first time they see the ghost or the demon? Why do people feel like, hey, there's been a spooky disappearance, but I'm going to investigate myself, even though I have no investigative background? Or, why didn't I realize I was dead the whole time? These important questions and many others we will get to the bottom of. So check us out each week at the podcast that wouldn't die. Be there or be square. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duvall Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUVAL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity 
intricate complexity and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Work Hours Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam, the provocateur. And together we are the Spy Hearts Podcast. Every Tuesday, we decode the best and the worst of spy cinema to decipher if they make the knock list. That's right. The knock list is the need-to-see official classics of the spy genre. The best of the best, so to speak. Nobody does it better. From Born to Bond and Powers to Palmer, you can bet we will cover it. So subscribe now and revel in the audio equivalent of a smooth martini. Just search for Spy Hards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, on all major podcast apps. And let's just hope you find us before we find you. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, available on all major streaming platforms. And visit my site at patrickbakermusic.com. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 148 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with the man they call the voice of professional darts, the legendary Russ Bray. I'm going to name 10 of the big names in this sport, and I'd love to get your quick take on them. Uh, first name would be Peter Wright. Fabulous. Yeah, good entertainer. Yeah. Gerwin Price? Um, person that everyone loves to hate. Um, <laughs> believe you me, but believe you me, he's one of the nicest men you'd ever want to meet in your life. Yeah. Van Gerwen? He's uh, it's, it's, it's just absolute mustard, you know. Or is he, he really is, you know, the big man all around. On and off the hockey. When he gives it, um, interviews, you know, when he, he, he speaks afterwards, if he's been beaten or won, he's very, very gracious. Yeah, that is one thing I will say about that. I do agree with you that it doesn't matter if he's having a bad game, a good game. He always has something nice to say at the ends. Absolutely, absolutely. Michael Smith. I tell you what, Michael Smith. Um, Michael Smith is underachieved up until now. Now he's believes. I, I always. I, it's funny enough. I've done an interview just before the uh, just before the Grand Slam, and I said if Michael Smith wins one, he wins three immediately. And it's exactly what he done. He won the Grand Slam, he won the World Championship, then won Bottle Rain uh, um, in January. And it's just having that belief. Now he's got that belief. Now he's got that monkey off his back that, you know, he, he, he's going to get beaten finals. He doesn't now. Um, Michael Smith, full of belief. Awesome. Nate Aspinall. 
<laughs> he's like a jack in the box. He, he's at the and he fancy. I mean, he's got a smiley face. He's, he's a lovely kid. Um, I, I like Nathan a lot. I really, really do. It's a good little goal for me to stop that because of his wrist. Nathan, that's more. I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, just a bouncing, just a bouncy, happy kid. Fallon Sherrick. Yeah, done wonders for the ladies. Done wonders for the ladies game. She has proved that it doesn't matter what sex you are to play darts. And, uh, you know, she's she's up there um, mixing it with the very, very best and, and, and winning. So, you know, she's proved that there is no barrier or should be no barrier between men and women's darts. Adrian Lewis. Adrian Lewis has got to be, uh, to me... Do you know what? He's probably one of the, or was one of the very, very best dark players in the world. Virtually, not quite, virtually up there with Van Gerwen. Um, another lad that's really underachieved. And he's won two world championships back to back. Oh, Jesus, he could have won a hell of a lot more. A hell of a lot more. And that's what he should have done. My vision. Four more. Raymond Van yep. Barneveld. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, probably one of the nicest throws in the game. He's got a lovely action. And um, I will be, he's, he's uh, again a lovely, lovely man. I, I, I can't say anything bad about, uh, about Raymond. He's just, you know, a very natural dog. I saw an interview with him recently, and he's got his diabetes under control. It's really helped him, yep. improve, you know, got his, you know, his game back and what have you. So that's a big, big, important part. Massive, massive. But I mean, I'm, I'm diabetic myself. I'm type two, but I'm, you know, I'm not seriously in, in the diabetes. Right. I'm, uh, I'm just on the periphery of it. Um, and yeah, it can affect you. You know, if you don't get your, you don't get your sugars right, you, you know, you, you can either be down, up, you know, and probably even more so with these boys. You know, that uh, they need to make sure that they regulate that properly. Gary Anderson, <laughs> very, very natural throw. And I'll tell you, what, I love calling for Gary because he's. Uh, Again, his natural throw, you know, it's, it's, it's no query, no mugging about. Get up there, bang, 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 walk away. Lovely. Johnny Clayton? Johnny, I'll tell you what, again, a very he worked very hard at his game. He's got to learn to count a little bit better. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he times he leaves himself, you know, 159, 166, you know, 168. Natural player. Lovely kid. But the beauty about Johnny is um, where he's working as a... a Plaster, yeah, he hasn't really got to worry too much about whether he wins the game of darts for money for his job. As it happens, it's exactly what he's done now. I mean, they're, they're, you know, he's earning a fabulous living out of it. And I think being nice and relaxed like that really does make a difference. But Johnny is, is, is again, he's a, a wonderful, wonderful character. That's one of the great things about Johnny and Gerwin. Like Welsh darts is finally on the world stage. People are really paying attention to the, you know, with obviously with many great things going on in Wales right now. So yeah, I'd love to see, yeah. you know, the Welsh represented. And finally, the last name on the list is one I know you're gonna be looking forward to, Phil Taylor. Yeah, yeah, the governor. He really is the boss man through and through. You know, he's he's what our game was generated into today. He's the one that's you know, set the bar. He's set that you know our highest got to be and beyond. And uh, he really did set, set everything. I mean, it's um, 16 world championships. That's never going to be beaten because, for what I've said earlier on, because of you know the quality and depth, the absolute master. And he was uh, just fantastic to call for. So 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 good. Do you think he could still play on today's circuit? No, no. I mean, it, 
No, not now. When he played, when he played, I mean, I roomed with Phil when we used to do Saskatoon in Canada. I roomed with him for the four years that we actually done that, Montreal before. Um, we used to go to a pub and he used to treat it like his work. So what he would use is we'd get to the pub at, say, 10 o'clock in the night, have breakfast, get to the pub at 10 o'clock, practice till 2, 1 o'clock time, stop for lunch, have an hour for lunch, then go back on the dartboard till four or five o'clock so he used to do it as though it was his work so he'd work in the morning like you would do you go to work yeah you have your lunch you need work in the afternoon you go home and then that's how he used to work that was his regime that's how he used to practice um he didn't practice rubbish either you know it wasn't just standing in front of the triple 20 you know there was a million and one things that he used to you know start at 85 finish at 130 shots out because that's where your money is and that's how he used to look at it so he was the absolute absolute ultimate professional ultimate that's amazing professional. when you're calling on the circuit today who is the most consistent most likely to throw a nine? Oh, blimey i'll tell you what you've got michael obviously you've got Mike, um, both the Michaels, Michael Smith, Michael Van Gogh, just solely because of their natural flow, because they're going to dump, 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 they just follow in, the following, and following. Going Price, another one, you know, he's, he's another one that um, is likely to hit a nine. Aspinall's likely to hit a nine, you know, it, it, it really, it, and even Gary Anderson now, all of a sudden, he's hit a bit of form again. So, you know, it's these are the boys that can hit a nine, you know, it's, it, if you've got a big tournament coming up, like we've got the UK Open coming up next weekend. Well, after this weekend, of course. I'm sure a nine will be hit by someone there somewhere along the line because you've got all, everyone else in there. It's like the FA Cup. So uh, watch this space. When a player's on a nine with three darts left, what emotions go through your head? You, are you, do you keep impartial? You have to keep your emotions in check? Yep, of course. Yeah, always, always. You're praying that they hit the nine because that's what you want. It's, it's, <laughs> it's great for the crowd. It's great for the tournament. It's great for you personally uh, and great for the player, of course. So yeah, but uh, yeah, you keep everything. Keep everything is, and once they've hit the nine, you know, getting shot and whatever leg. I mean, with Taylor Donald very first one, which was just uh, fantastic. That was um, two thousand two at Blackpool uh, against Chris Mason, and as it happened, it was the fifth leg. And so they went off for a natural break. So of course it was game shot and the fifth leg, Phil Taylor. Of course he walks up and shake hands and said, "Well done, mate." These days they hit and on they walk turn around, packing good arts pal. You know, they just go on the next thing and just keep it at that. You know, it's uh, they just keep it nice and nice and simple. So I read that you have a Guinness World Record. Can you tell my listeners about it? Yeah, sure. Um, it was in Blackpool. It was a good few years back. I can't remember the the the, the year. Um, and we got asked to go down and throw darts on the North Pier. Uh, it was outside, so it was blowing an absolute hoolie with the wind in it. Uh, there was myself, Steve Beaton, James Wade, um, and various other players in that down there. And uh, what we had to do was stand at 10 foot instead of 7 foot, 9 and a quarter, 8 foot. Stand at 10 foot, throw the bullseye, and see if we could hit a bullseye. Now, because it's filmed, um, it can go in the Guinness Book of Records, which is what we're doing. Well, on my fourth dart, I threw three darts, and my fourth dart, I threw and hit the bullseye. And uh, so, of course, that was big, you know, I'm jumping out. It was all, all a bit of fun. Uh, and no one else done it, you know. So uh, that became a Guinness Book of Records. But I think, I think Freddie Flint, one of our cricketers, has, has taken that off me since. I, I think, I'm not sure. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I end up in the Guinness Book of Records for uh, hitting a bullseye at 10 foot outside in, uh, in Blackpool. That's awesome. Have you gotten to a point in your career that you can choose the events you want to call, or does the PDC still call those shots? 
No, no, no. We'll sit down. I'll sit down with a tournament director with uh, Graham Fairhurst. And, uh, you know, it's a matter of, of spreading it out as well because there's four wrestling, you know. So we'll spread it out as well. You've got things like the UK up where we're all used. Um, and then I, I do the Asian tour. So I, I I go out to Asia, I go to Seoul, and I go to Kobe in Japan, and uh, and such like Mongolia. I went to so, and I'm going back out there again. So I have those, but they incorporate other events in between, or or, or they, you know, um, clash with those. So where I do the Asian tour, I don't do other events, but I'd, I'll I'll sit there and have a chat. We go through the calendar and see, you know, what ones I can do. Um, you know, and then we just generally work it from there. So uh, it's all pretty fair. We sort of spread it out a little bit so it's nice and even amongst most of us. Mm. A lot of my dart throwing fans use your darts app. How much Beautiful. fun was it? To how much fun was it to create that? <laughs> Fantastic! It's funny because a guy got hold of me, a guy called Andrew Aisbit, um from TIG. TIG is his, is his company, and he got hold of me. 12, 12, 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, whatever it was, and uh, emailed me and said, I'd like to do a Russ Bray darts set yeah, as a referee. And uh, I texted him back. I said, I've got no problem with that. How much is it going to cost me? And he sent me back, it'll cost you anything, but I'll send you through what you need to record. So he sent me through what I need, like one to one eighty, obviously, game on, game shot, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it just built up from there. And what the guy has done with the actual app itself is just extraordinary. You know, I mean, it's uh, that's no skill from me whatsoever. All I do, all I do is record names every now or every five or six months. You send me a through about eight false gaps of uh, four names and um, and nicknames. And then I'll sit there for a day or morning, so four or five hours, and just record the lot. You know, so it's just boom, 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 and. Uh, send them all back to him, and then he puts them on the app and, and, and goes with that. But uh, it's great fun to do. I mean, I do, trust me, I do enjoy doing it. I mean, obviously, the main part of the app is already done, so all I ever do now is just fill in my names and, and things like that. Right. So what is next for Raspberry? Is there a book? Are you thinking maybe one day retirement? No, 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 no. But I'm, I've been approached about doing a book. Um, I've, I've got to be honest, I'm not that style of person. I'm not really fussed on doing a book. It's uh, I've had a very career, a very good career with the darts so far, and I had a good time before it. But no, not interested in the book. I've been asked to be in a film. Um, hopefully filming that in July. I can't say anything on that at the moment, um, but hopefully going to be in a film. I've been in films before. I've done a lot of extra stuff back in the day. So I've done lots of bits and pieces like that, voiceovers, obviously. Yeah, retirement, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I've got a few years left, if, you know, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of youngsters coming through, um, plus I've got other bits and pieces, uh, I've got other irons in the fire, obviously I've got stuff in Asia that I'm hopefully, hopefully going to be dealing with, I'd like to do a little bit of commentary every now and again, if I can get into that style of things, you know, have a chat, I think the knowledge would be, would be good for that, Um yeah, it's it's um, nothing in particular. I just keep ticking over, you know, day by day, you know, month by month, year by year. But as I say, you know, work wise, I mean, I'm 66 next birthday, so you know, I'm not I'm not a youngster anymore. Get my old age pension in June uh, of the government, so uh, you know, I don't know. For as long as the PDC would want me, you know, and as long as I'm not an old funny daddy up there, you know, it's uh, that's that's. That's how I look at it at the moment. Nothing, nothing particularly. As we begin to wind down this interview, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Do you have a website, social media? Uh, social media, definitely. Um, at Russ180 on uh, Twitter. 
uh, Russ Bray on Facebook. Uh, I don't have a website. I did have one years ago, but and the maintaining of that and all the rest of it, it was all early doors as well. So, uh, but I don't have a website. But if anybody wants to follow me, they can follow me on Twitter. They can follow me on Facebook. Um, if you direct message me, I do reply. I'm not one of these that doesn't reply as such. Depends what it's about, of course. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> if it's a sensible one, then uh, you know, normally people will direct me, direct message me um, with regards to the rules. You know, uh, is this dark count? Does that dark count? Does this, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? That's what I generally get. So those sort of things, I definitely will reply. You know? mm. So I end my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? One thing I'd like to say, but uh, live life to the full. Live, live it as best you can. You know, I'll turn in the said that I do not want to be lying on my deathbed turning around and saying, I wish I'd done that when I could have done it. You know, there's a million and one things we wish we could do that it's impossible to do. But if you're, if you're able to do it, yeah, go and do it because it's, it's a great world out there. I've been lucky enough to be able to do it. <laughs> Russ, this is one of those times I wish my dad was still with us to hear, but I got to speak to the legendary uh, Russ Bray. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know of your incredibly busy schedule to speak with me. This one for me is one for the books. Brilliant, Derek. Thank you very much for asking me. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on this show. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And just like that, Devon Nation, we come to the end of episode 148. I want to thank Russ for taking the time out of his schedule to speak with me. It took a lot of stars to align to make that possible, and I am incredibly indebted to him for helping me make that happen. So, Russ, sir, like I said off camera, you are welcome back anytime. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a very good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have. So please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything without a logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go on the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that. And you will be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. So on behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, pick up a set of darts. You'll be shocked at how incredibly calming it can be to play not only the physical game of darts, but also a mental game. With you having to learn to count back from 170 and the infinite number of combinations it takes to get that done. If you think you have what it takes to take on Derek Duvall, <laughs> I'll be waiting. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.